Hey everyone, real quick before we jump in, I absolutely love doing this podcast and I truly hope you've enjoyed listening. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would show your support by going to the anchor link and then clicking the support button. Either a one-time donation or, even better, a small monthly donation would be very much appreciated. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Karen Isn't Always Right. My guest today is Nicholas Henriksen. He's a Stanford MBA and a founder of an online used car sales company called Carlipso. Buying a used car is a pretty emotional decision and Nicholas has had his fair share of engaging with some of those emotional and escalated customers. Back in 2017, he sold his business to Carvana, and then after three years with them, he left to start withclutch.com, which is a digital platform to refinance auto loans. There's about 20 million car owners who can save thousands of dollars in minutes and usually don't even know that refinancing a car loan isn't even an option. It was actually really enjoyable getting to know Nick and chatting with him for a while, so I hope you enjoy this. And here's Nicholas. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you. Good, good. So welcome to Karen Isn't Always Right. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I you look bet. forward to this. Yeah, I've been excited to do this. You know, like we were talking uh, right before I hit record, uh, we got delayed a little bit, so I apologize for that. But I've been I've been excited to have someone on that um, that isn't in my industry and that, you know, I don't we don't know each other personally other than, than a brief conversation we had um when you reached out to me so it's kind of exciting to have somebody new on. yeah no thanks for having me we i'll tell you my story in a second but we have been working with customers a lot um was surprised by customers a lot learned a lot from customers so i think there's a lot we can turn about talk about yeah absolutely i agree so so tell us about yourself sure so i was born and raised in germany originally i moved to the us in 2011. uh came to business school i went to san francisco I went to Stanford, and at Stanford, I managed. I I met my what would become future co-founder. So we started a business called Carlipso in 2013. We were selling used cars online, and so what I didn't realize at the time is uh, that uh, a used car purchase is a very very emotional transaction, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously the price point is really high, which creates a lot of anxiety in customers. And as a true startup founder, we spend a lot of time listening to customers, working with customers, trying to figure out how to please customers, delight them so they would refer us. Um, And so as a consequence, I ended up talking to a lot of customers for multiple years. Um, We fast forward, ended up raising $10 million in venture funding, sold the business to Carvana, uh, which is this big company with the car vending machines. For three years, left in June and starting another business. Um, and so we should talk a little bit about like our experiences talking talking with customers. I think this is spot on what you're trying to cover here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you when you reached out, I asked, do you do you know do you know what a Karen is? And and you sent me an amazing voicemail. <laughs> it just completely cracked me up. But if I can figure out a way to insert that into the audio here, I'm gonna, if, with your permission, I'm gonna try to do. Yeah, that. Of course, go ahead. Um, <laughs> But tell, tell, just, just if I can't, tell the audience what that voicemail was about. Yeah, so we were selling used cars. Um, and when you sell a used car, you have these, these opposing tensions. A, 
customers are always very hesitant because it's such a big purchase. And I understand, fully understand. Um, car dealers don't have the best reputation. We, we clearly try to do something differently, right? We, we graduated from a good school. We came into the space to change the space. So we had very, very, very good intentions. But it's very hard to transfer that and make customers feel that too. And so we were selling used cars. People always think used car dealers are a little bit of a scam artist and are hiding things and there's information asymmetries. So people always come in with a lot of hes hesitations and, and their guards up. Uh, but then the opposing tension to that is, well, they came in because you have something they want. Yeah. You have a car, cars are very nuanced. You have different years, makes, models, trims, packages and options. And so if you have something that's very specific uh, and the customer wants it, then the customer really, really wants it. And so you, you have these two tensions where you either said something or did something or didn't say something and didn't, didn't do something that makes the customer nervous. And that person will then potentially have an emotional reaction or you just sell the car because there's a, a market for it. And then if you sell a car, customers feel like you, I've had that at least and that was this phone recording. You betrayed them by selling the, this one thing that they really desired to somebody else. Right. And so the, the recording we showed you was uh, one of our um, associates reaching out to a customer who had inquired about a Dodge Challenger, I think. <laughs> um, and so that, their customer went radio silent for weeks. Uh, and so as, as, you, as you would expect, the car sold. Absolutely. And our associate, yeah. Steve, he called the customer and said, hey, so you inquired about a Dodge Challenger last week. And the customer barely remembered in the beginning of the call. Um, and then Steve said, well, the, the thing is, this car sold, uh, but I'm hopeful and quite confident we'll find you something similar. And then the customer couldn't believe this car sold. So he, he's like, what, it sold? Like, the car that I wanted sold? And then he went like crazy. He's like, he lost what? his mind. <laughs> yeah. It was like this, and this is, I think, a lesson that's true for a lot of the conversation we'll have. Like the customer wasn't angry with, with Steve, yeah. like, with, with our associate. It was just, frustrated with the situation because it must have been a car that he'd been looking for a long time and so the, the most important thing is to take these these reactions not positive uh, not not personally sure but it, it was a fun recording where we're like yeah <laughs> these things happen <laughs> yeah i think that's been in a lot of my experience when interacting with guests and customers is is yeah it's it's not a personal attack on you they're just they're frustrated in some form or fashion whether it's because there's some other outside influence that's affecting exactly. their mood or in this in this particular situation it's this this car that means something to them in yeah. some way you know whether it's a nostalgia thing or they, they just really like dodge challengers or whatever it is specific one i mean a dodge challenger isn't exactly i don't know what year it was but they're not a rare car so i, <laughs> I don't know could, what it was you could find one pretty easily but yeah, yeah it, was, it was funny because the customer hung up on steve and steve called him back like i'm so sorry at this reaction we really want to help you and I, I do believe i don't have the recording of the next car um <laughs> Um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure Steve Steve found him something that he liked, and that yeah. it turned out really well. It was just this one extract of the recording that I thought was, was worth sharing. Um, but the the other thing I noticed over the the past is like the the emotional reaction of people is rarely like or the, the it's just a symptom of something that's actually much much deeper ingrained. Like clearly, if, if you have been car shopping 
you're not going to yell or scream at the first dealership who sold the car from underneath of you. Right. Like you're just gonna, not going to do that. But if, if you've been in the process and you've, you've been to 10 dealerships and the same thing happened to you multiple times, it's like yeah. this build up, build up frustration that yeah. at some point you need a vendor. I totally understand it. Like yeah. I, I encourage customers to be very candid, very transparent. Um, actually getting to the root uh, helps a lot building a relationship yeah. with customers and the, the goal needs the customer is the boss, right? If the customer isn't happy, you, you just didn't deliver. Yeah. But you, you can't neglect the reaction. It's more around managing and understanding it. Um, and, and we've always had good experiences when we spent a lot of time. I personally, later on running the company, spent a lot of time with escalated customers just to understand what the problem was and where it came from. And most of the times we successfully delighted the customers in the end. Yeah, I think uh, you know, if they're not being candid and upfront with you, then how are you supposed to help them? You know, That's they, true. It's, it's important to be direct about that. I love how you use the word delighting the customer. Um, I'm a big fan. I, I've always hated the term customer satisfaction because to me, satisfied just implies that you're just, it's just mediocre. I mean, I'm not, uh, well, I'm you, not happy. You need, I'm not unhappy. The expectation. I mean, you yeah. Need to, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think delight is a, is a great term. Um, well, yeah, I like that. So tell me more about, um, you know, you can lead the conversation if you want. Tell me, tell me more about what you're doing now. Okay, so let's go back to the previous company. It was called Carlipsa. Okay. Okay. We wanted to sell used cars online. And so the way it worked is we, we, we started out with a peer-to-peer model where it would help you, Chris, sell your car to somebody else. Okay. There you have two customers with uh, contrarian uh, uh, objectives. The seller wants more for the car, the buyer wants to pay less. Sure. So that, that is a really difficult business to make work. And instead, we moved to a business where we advertised vehicles of institutions, be leasing companies, rental companies, okay. uh, fleets. And so these institutional sellers are very, very rational around car prices, car condition. It's all based on numbers, basically. It's, yeah. it's not an emotional reaction like like the ones like we ran into, yeah. like like the other, yeah, like the other end of the, the equation where you buy a car, um, and so we we basically gave consumers access to vehicles that usually only dealers have access to. Okay. So we cut out the middleman, and that worked really well until we were selling around 150 cars a month. That was a revenue run rate of around 35 million. So it was yeah, starting to become a big business. Sure. And um, then at some point we hit the threshold where we transitioned from a subset of the market that was very, very rational around what they wanted, like one unit of Prius, or one unit of Nissan Leaf. And those were Uber drivers or okay. people who commuted a lot, who knew exactly what they wanted. And this was just means to an end. Mm-hmm. We started entering a segment of the market that was, uh, for whom it was a much more emotional purchase decision. They, these customers probably saved up for months, if not years to afford the down payment. Um, and so they were going to buy, let's say, a 3 Series BMW and wanted to test drive them, and our model didn't allow for that. Right. And it was, it was really interesting to see this transition. Every month that happened where the first 150 sales were relatively easy, and the 151st, 152nd, those became more difficult. Those were also the customers where I ended up spending a lot more time talking to customers, trying to understand where frustration came from if they had a bad experience. And it was really this turning point for us where we said, well, for our business to work, we need to find a bigger audience of customers who buy cars purely as a utility hmm. and, and not to reward, reward themselves for, for having achieved a goal or like using their savings. Right. Um, 
And so what I noticed and I learned is these are very different value propositions. Like you're selling two different things. The car did a different job for the person who was very, very rational around this car purchasing decision, the Uber driver, mm-hmm. versus the car that we sold to a broader market. And we realized we weren't, we weren't set up like the model. We, we probably were too early to cater to the, the demographic and the part of the population that was purchasing a vehicle just because it was impulsive and, and like an emotional decision. And then we compared what we were doing with Carvana and Carvana was set up to cater exactly to that audience. Like the experience with the vending machines, they're building brand, like all of these things that evoke trust. We hadn't invested in them because we were focused on the rational car buyer who understood what we were doing. Completely different model, right? Yeah, very different, like very nuanced, Mm -hmm. but very different. Yeah. And so we ended up selling the business to Carvana Carvana is a very big business now. We stayed for three years and now we're starting a business uh, in the financial technology space, a digital platform to refinance auto loans. Okay. And so if, if you have an auto loan, you most likely got, the, got it at the dealership, yeah. which means the rate was marked up so you can save money like on the first day already if you refinance. Yeah. And then the second thing that happens is you move in credit. So if you make your payments, you improve your credit you would qualify for a lower rate, but you're, you're somewhat stuck in the existing loan. Yeah. And we'll refinance that loan and help you lower your payments. What's that name? What's the company called? It's called Clutch and the website is withclutch.com. Awesome. Nice. So <clears throat> can I back up a little bit and, sure. and talk about, a little bit about the customer? You said you talked to a lot of customers when, yeah. when you were um, with Calypso. What, what kind of experiences did you have um, in talking with these customers and, and what were some of the, the frustrations that these, the, these customers would express and how did you, how did you deal with those? Yeah. So this, this was very interesting. I, I'd, I'd worked in the equivalent of Best Buy in Germany when I was like a teenager. Okay. Um, Germans are very composed though. So they will, when a German is frustrated, he'll tell you, I am frustrated right now. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> it's and funny I'm, you say that, not to interrupt, but I'm listening to a, a podcast with Joe Rogan right now. Okay. And he has a, I can't remember the guy's name, but he has a German guy on the show. And he, he's exactly like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he said something basically to that effect. It's really funny. Yeah, it was, um, it was so funny. And then I moved away. And the, the way we started the business is we sold our classmates' cars. Oh, okay. We posted them online and um like on craigslist and then people would inquire and we would never lie we'd always tell them this is one of our classmates cars Mm -hmm. and we're helping them sell it they left the area like all of that was true um and the first couple of sales went great and i was really having fun and chris my co-founder is like yeah this is as i predicted like we just need to get the price right we get more money than than, than dealerships pay and then i remember we were advertising uh, like hyundai court and this customer showed up and he came with like a little army of friends who understood cars and were just into inspecting the car upside down and inside out. And that was the first time where, where I felt like this guy clearly doesn't trust me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's not only that, that he has questions, like he just doesn't trust the word I'm saying. And then he wanted to take the car to a mechanic and we're like, sure, do it. Um, and I thought that was all fine. But at, like I could ten, since he would ju- he just didn't trust me at all, and I think this had nothing to do with me. He would would have just not trusted anyone. Yeah. It must have been a big purchase for him. And then he came back and said, "Okay, the car looks great. 
Um, I want to buy it. I'll get a check tomorrow. I'll pick it up. I'm like, sure, cool. We put it away, took the listing down. And then I checked in with him the next morning and asked him, I think his name was Kevin or something. I'm like, hey, Kevin, how's it going? When are you planning on picking up the car? And he wrote me like this three-page long email how he knew there was something wrong with, with me. And uh, what? he did research and he saw that uh, he found my LinkedIn profile. And I jokingly wrote, graduated from Stanford Business School, now becoming a used car dealer. <laughs> and he, he felt like he discovered like the missing piece. Okay. Like everything seemed to go to be true. Yeah. Exactly, I got yeah. you. And uh, so he was like, yeah, I knew there was something wrong with the car and I knew I couldn't believe your story. And like, I, I, it, it hurt me so much to be like, I felt really attacked and didn't understand what it was. I'm like, Chris, what is going on here? Like this person hates me. I didn't do anything. He's like, just ignore it. There's right. going to be another fire. I'm like, how am I going to ignore that? Like, he's, <laughs> It's he's a like, three-page letter. <laughs> yeah, three-page letter. And he like currently, clearly questions my integrity and... Yeah. I'm like, I feel like I want to talk to him and clarify. Like, it was so important for me that the customer understood that, like, he, he was wrong. Like, I had That's no the problem. tough part. If he's attacking, if it feels like he's attacking your integrity or yeah, your character. Yeah. I mean, I've been in that position sometimes in the thick of the moment. Yeah. A customer is yelling at me and I've been called, you're a terrible, you need to go back to customer service school and you're a terrible GM. And it's like, whoa, exactly. whoa, like, I'm trying to help you here. Yeah. 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 And so... This was, I remember very vividly, that was the first time where I'm like, I don't even know, there's no way to get through to him. He has his opinion of me and it's wrong. Um, and I just didn't know how to handle it. Like I, I, I like followed up again. I'm like, hey, Kevin, should we hop on a call? I wanted to clarify this. And then he just stopped talking to me, which totally makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like it sat with me for a long, long time. Um, and I just wondered how, how, what could I have done differently? I, like I only controlled the process. I didn't control the outcome. Right. I think that's, that's an important lesson. Um, and I, I'm sure it wasn't me. Like the fact that he was so skeptical and didn't trust me, that was not me. And I needed to understand that that was previous experiences he had. Yeah. Do you think the Craigslist thing had a little something to do with it too? Like some people get wonky about, I mean, he's the one that chose to go on Craigslist to buy a car, I guess, but yeah, well, Craigslist has the reputation. Like the, the that's the problem, right? And you can, you can sell 10,000 cars on Craigslist and then one time something terrible happens and, and then it's all bad. Change the, the experience for all the other 10,000 people. Sure. Yeah. Um, he self-selected to go on Craigslist. Like, right. I think he had a bad experience in the past before where he bought a car from somebody like he was clearly price sensitive and that's cool. Like yeah. I'm price sensitive. I don't sure. want to overpay. Kind of should be sometimes. Um, I, yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I, I just didn't know what his prior experiences were. And so it was so hard for me to understand why he's attacking me. Yeah. And every time we had a similar experience where people screamed or yelled, um, it didn't happen a lot, obviously, uh, luckily. But every time it happened, um, I noticed two things. A, like logic just doesn't work. You can't try to find an emotional <laughs> reaction uh, triggered by a trauma, basically. Mm -hmm. that I don't understand. You can't fight it with logic. And then the only way to understand the, the, the reaction is to understand the little trauma from the past. Yeah. Which um, can be difficult to dig into. Yeah, you don't know this person. You, most likely you don't get to it. Yeah. Like most likely you won't find out what it is. And, yeah. and you just have to live your life and understand like there have, must have been a traumatic experience in the past. Um, you can, you control the process. You just don't control the outcome. And for as long as you maintain your integrity, I think you've done everything you could do in the moment. 
How do you manage when you're getting yelled and screamed at? How do you manage your own internal response or outward response really yeah. to that situation? Well, I, I, a, I think I'm not good at it. I think there's people who are really strong at it who just maintain composure. My, my natural instinct is to go back to logic. Like I, I will not be, I will not have an emotional reaction. Like I would never yell back or anything. A, okay. it's wrong, and B, it's unprofessional, and C, that's just not me. Okay. My problem is my instincts will go back to logic, and I've I've seen that just not work. And this is, we had a class at Stanford Business School. It's called interpersonal dynamics. Okay. Like among the students, it's called touchy feely. Funny enough. <laughs> um, and so there we learn a lot of, a lot of content and 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 like concepts around how people work and function. And so there's this expression called somebody's flooded. So if somebody is like really irate and, and you can't get through him, he's, that, would, that would basically be called that person's flooded and you, you have no way to get through him. Like logic doesn't work. So you need to first calm the person down um, and make sure that he doesn't or she doesn't have, she's not on that level of emotional like reaction. And then logic applies again. Okay. Um, and so we, like when we studied that at Stanford Business School, it was all around managing people, um, be it employees or colleagues or peers or even like even your boss sometimes can be <laughs> flooded or triggered by something you said. Yeah. And so I feel like we, we are very well equipped or have some experience on how to manage these, these uh, circumstances. I, I just always knew that it was my responsibility to have the conversation with the customer. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't my superpower. At yeah. Carvana, we had a big team, and some people, they were just, they had done this all their life, talked to escalated customers, and it was just incredible to see them, how, how they didn't apply logic to try to calm somebody down very successfully. Um, and so I think the lesson here is some people are really good at that. You just need to like, complement your team with people who have that strength. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it is not as easy as some people make it look for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's probably not my best trait. I know I'm in the customer service business and I have a podcast about customer service, but you know, I know what my weaknesses are. I know that when I'm getting yelled and screamed at internally, I have an emotional reaction. Externally, I put out something completely different because like you said, it's unprofessional or to, to have an emotional response towards a guest. Um, and it's hard not to take things personally sometimes, you know, I mean, very hard, very hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things we try to teach our people all the time is like, look, don't take it seriously, but don't take it personally. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, that's easier said than done sometimes if someone's going off on you. Yeah. 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 It, I think there's a, there's a certain archetype of employee or colleague or person who, who's really good at it. And then you should hire for those. Yeah. And if you're not great at it, then you're not helping neither yourself nor the customer if you're putting yourself into the situation. Like, you can't avoid these conversations. You still need to, because you're the GM in your case, like, you need to be present. Yeah. But um, one way to handle it is to be present, but then let somebody else do the talking, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you can show your presence and that you care. But resolving the challenge, I found leaving it to somebody else who, whose instinct is not to apply logic to solve the problem mm-hmm. led to much better success rates, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And I think there's just, I'm look, I'm relatively adept with speaking to people and, yep. and, and deescalating. It's just, I, I know I'm going to have to go walk around the building after. 
Um, but some people I, I'm very envious of because they have yeah. this natural ability. Superpower. To stay, yeah. yeah, it really is a superpower, you know, and, and just that calmness that they can, can have and, and within themselves and evoke. Um, we had a, on the weekends at, at one of the locations I worked at, we'll have off-duty police officers do security, right? And there's one officer, his name's Jim, who is amazing because he's, he's actually a negotiator. Um, okay. And, oh my gosh, like talk about the most calming effect. And there was this one Christmas day where this guy was just losing his mind in my lobby and yelling and screaming at me. And, and he was pretty much in my face. And then all of a sudden behind me, I feel somebody put their hand on my shoulder. And I was like, I tensed up immediately. And yeah. when I looked back, I saw it was Jim. And he just immediately had this calming effect on the entire situation. It was, it was pretty awesome to experience. Yeah, it's funny that you say negotiator. I read this book, Never Split the Difference. Okay. Um, really good book. Highly recommend it. It's uh, from this guy who used to be, who worked for the FBI as a hostage, hostage negotiator. And he he like he teaches similar lessons where you, you mirror the other person, to, yeah. One is calm the other person down, and then slow down, slow yeah. down the whole situation. Yeah. Um. And so there's clearly a few techniques that work really well. The, the interesting thing is these these escalated customers are huge opportunities to delight somebody because yes. you can go from one end of the emotional spectrum to the other relatively quickly. Yeah. Because usually. If somebody screams at you, like they know that they won't get what they want. They just they're just frustrated in the moment. And then if you use the opportunity to delight the customer, that person will always talk. He'll come back, feel a little ashamed, but smile, and yep. like, that person will come back for sure. Yep. We have we call it the moment of truth um, when we're dealing with those situations where there's that one moment where it can either go bad or it can go great. You know, and and sometimes I've had these situations where like you kind of like you just touched on where it, the, the situation can be infinitely better than had something not gone wrong at all. Like yep. had nothing yep. gone wrong at all, it would have just been a mediocre experience or whatever. But then something happens, it goes south for a minute, but then you recover it and you make it way better than it ever could have been because then they've yep. seen what kind of guest service you're able to provide. For them. Yeah. And then that's when they start telling their friends. And Exactly. We had the same thing. We, for us, the Yelp reviews were very important. Because it's a big purchase, uh, early company, and the the best reviews, the one I enjoyed most, were the ones that started out really bad and then had an update and then another update and then another update and then you can see how it goes from one to five stars. Yeah. And then they they the customers named individuals personally, like in my case, Nicholas spent so much time helping me out, and I really feel like this car is great and I'm in good hands and I would never buy a car differently again. Uh, and then they apologize for, for their reaction. So I, I have the same experience. <clears throat> it's always interesting when a customer chooses to apologize about their actions. Some don't, you know, some just move on with their life. And they, they say, well, I'm going to complain to your corporate office or, or your boss. I want your boss's name. And then you never hear anything. And I think a lot of times what happens is somebody gets home and they lay in bed at night and they think they replay the events in their mind and realize, oh, well, I was the asshole, you know. But then sometimes, but sometimes you really do get those people who, who recognize that and actually will go out of their way to actually seek you out again and apologize and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And that's pretty amazing when that, I mean, I don't know, it's, it's never my intention. I want to be right all the time. That's not my yeah. goal, you know, but it is sometimes, I'm not going to lie. It's nice to hear a customer yeah. realize that they were, they were being a prick. So. Yeah, I think, <laughs> that's funny how you say that. But I think people are fundamentally good. 
Like you don't, oh, yeah. you don't get to this world frustrated and angry with people. Mm-hmm. It's prior experiences that led people to have a strong reaction when you triggered him. Mm-hmm. Um, like this phone call in our case, again, that, that person must have missed out on two or three cars already yeah. that he really liked. And then this was the next one. And clearly this wasn't our fault. Also, Steve, our colleague, he, he didn't, he wasn't bothered at all. He, he knew it wasn't his fault. And so he just wanted to call back and help the guy. That's awesome <laughs> that he could do that. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was impressive too. Yeah. He's just a really calm guy. I think it's, in this case, he used to be a professional athlete. He used to play football. Um, I think your example of the cop um, Mm -hmm. who had like a negotiation background, Jim, really good example. It's these people who are used to like being pushed to extremes and out of their comfort zone who have like this this superpower of being really calm. Mm -hmm. We had it at at Stanford Business School. We had a lot of Navy SEALs and uh, people who went to the military. Those were the the calmest people of all of them. Like when when they talked, you like, this was like meditating to listen to them. And they clearly have seen things that you and I don't even can't even imagine. Yeah. And I think if you if you're stretched to your, if your comfort zone had been comfort zone had been stretched to a limit, and then you can start learning how to control yourself. Um, live within that. Yeah. Exactly. You, yeah. you you're, you're very much in control of yourself. I've been listening to a lot of stuff by some Navy SEALs recently. Uh, do you know Jocko Willink? I do not. He's a ex Navy SEAL commander, and then he owns a company called Echelon Front with one of his. Um, colleagues in the Navy SEALs, a guy named Leaf, I can't remember his last name, but he has several books out, but one of which is called Extreme Ownership. Okay. So he talks a lot about, you know, a lot about basically it's emotional intelligence and then, you know, how to lead and things like that. But he really does touch on that a lot on how to stay calm. And yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, like you just said, I mean, they've been at the extremes. Things things you can't then see. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's pretty cool to to listen to that kind of stuff. Um, Somebody I talked to, uh Oh, sorry. No, no, you go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was wondering how often you have, let's call it incidents uh, in, in your industry where you, where you have escalated customers. Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think it, it comes in waves sometimes, which is interesting. Um, and, you know, sometimes those waves can be associated with the spikes in attendance that we might see, you know, throughout okay. the year. Because obviously, like your summers and holidays, those are typically the busier times. So you might see some spikes there. But sometimes, even on the off-season, you'll see little spikes. Um, and I try to correlate that with maybe something that might, there might have been a change at the theater or whatever. It also yeah. kind of depends, I think, on the market uh, as, as far as, like, where you're located, the demographics of that market, uh, things of that nature. Um, and so uh, my personal experience has been, um, I generally run into the most incidents, as you say, mm. in kind of the wealthier markets. Okay. Um, a good example is I used to live out in your neck of the woods. I used to live in Walnut Creek. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And I ran a theater in Danville. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. So Danville's a affluent community for sure. And probably one of the toughest locations I ever ran in my career in the last over 20 years. Um, because you know, they're just, they have an expectation, they have money. Um, the other part of that puzzle though, was that we had a lot of difficulty staffing because it's hard, you know, typically our, our employees are teenagers. Um, and, and so we would be looking to them to supply our workforce from their kids, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, their no. kids don't need to work, <laughs> you know? Okay. And so, or if they are working, they don't really care because they don't need the job, you know, yeah. whereas like in your middle, middle income or even lower, middle, lower income areas, 
a lot of those kids need the money. They need to work. Yeah. Um, and so you, you have this lower customer service because you don't have enough people or you have people that don't really. Yeah. It's like a vicious circle. And so, yeah, it just creates this constant issue. Um, and then, uh, you know, now in an area like where I'm at now, um, it's a little different. The, the people mm-hmm. are just easier to get along with. Um, you know, Colorado is very different because like the northern part of Colorado uh, can be a little bit more um, sort of like that California theater and then yeah. the southern part can be a little different. It's just, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, here's what we are. I think you're actually selling a different product to these yeah. different pieces or parts of the population. AutoNation is one of the biggest dealership groups in the country, car dealership groups. Yeah. They have a nas- national footprint. Um, they have a na- nationwide ca- customer satisfaction s- survey. Every single year, car- customer satisfaction in 90% of the country is the same. And in the Bay Area, it's always 10% lower. Is it really? Yeah. And so it's similar what to what you're describing is uh, like for some reason, people just either have high expectation here or their service is worse, which I don't believe the service is worse because it's the same people. Mm-hmm. And so when I thought about it more, I realized that we were selling a different product here than in other parts of the country. In other parts of the country, customers were so delighted that we were able to package a financing product together that allowed them to take the car, drive the car for like within budget and a certain monthly payment. And so the product we were selling was mobility for a monthly payment basically in the bay area people didn't need to finance people most people paid with cash or got a credit union loan at 1.99 percent yeah so the product we're selling was the car and what used to be some like what when, when we were selling used cars online the impre- the impression we created this is probably partly our fault um the impression we created is you, you you're basically buying a new car for the price of a used one okay and and so this was not our intention, but we told them condition will be perfect because everybody's wor- worried about condition when you buy a car online. Sure. And so if, if, if the product you're selling is the mobility for monthly payment, then perfect means this car will drive, I'll have no problem ever, and I can show to my friends, and it, it's a used car. If we describe that same product to people who don't need financing, all of a sudden the product we're selling is this picture-perfect car. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we had very different conversations with customers similar to your experience in the Bay Area where expectations were just much higher. Yeah. I think, I think this was one takeaway of like you really need to understand what you're selling to whom. Different audiences are very different. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so where did I want to go with this? Um, t- talk to me about you know, the, the next thing. Like what, yeah. what, what were you doing after that? So Clutch, that's the new business we're starting, is a digital platform to refinance auto loans. Mm-hmm. The, the mission is actually much grander than this. The, the goal is to build something like Credit Karma for all your ownership expenses, because when you buy a car, you actually sign six contracts. You, you buy a car, you sell a car, you finance it, you have gap insurance, you have a warranty, you have your car insurance. And so all of these products are sold by different people at different stages of your life with different information asymmetries. And so, as I said, the the loan, you can refinance, lower your payment relatively soon. Once you improved your credit, you can renegotiate your insurance bill. And so there's a lot of opportunities for you throughout the car ownership life cycle to save money. And we want to be the advocate to help you. 
um, and then the the mission is is something that that's very near and dear to our hearts. We've seen since we've been in the car space for seven years, we, we've we've seen how if somebody gets a car at a high interest loan, car loans can be as high as twenty nine percent. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if you're stuck at a high interest loan, like all these opportunities that are available to most of the people aren't available to you anymore because all your savings will go into paying interest on your car. You cannot not make payments. Otherwise they repossess it. It hits your credit. So you're you're somewhat addicted to making these car payments. Meanwhile, other people who don't have 29% interest or 20% interest can put that same money to work and have wealth built. And so our mission is here to get people out of bad credit Help them, help them create savings and equity in their car and, and life. And then hopefully do our little part to address what we think is one of the root causes of in, income inequality. When did you start this? We started in June. So it's really recent. We, oh, we left wow. Carvana in June. We started in June. We, we were lucky we could just go back to our former investors, tell them we're doing this again. Okay. Um, the almost identical group backed us again. We're about to close the round, and so we're off to the races. The, well, that's the, amazing. the idea, the insight came from when we were still running our own business three to four years ago, though. Okay, wow. Yeah, that moved very, very quickly, huh? Yeah. So you, no, you, no time to wait. Don't ever waste a good crisis. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the, the, car loan business, man. I mean, I, I had a situation earlier on, you know, several many years ago of, uh, getting divorced and then credit got trashed and, and I was dumb yeah. enough to just buy a car while my credit was shit. Not and, dumb. You needed the car. This is exactly yeah. what happens. We, we yeah. describe people with bad credit, challenge credit, how we call them. Mm-hmm. You have two populations. You have the one that's behaviorally subprime. That's people who have never received financial literacy training. They just don't yeah. understand that if you don't make your credit card payments, that's a really bad thing. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't, nobody tells you, you don't know. You just sure, assume yeah. like I can it's make it next month and credit score. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I need that. And then you have the other populations that, that used to be good credit and had like a life event, be it a divorce, like you described, or medical bills, lost the job during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so you slipped down in credit. And then exactly as you said, you need that car. You said you're dumb. I don't think you're dumb. You just needed a car. Yeah. And given the circumstances, there wasn't a lot of options. Oh, I probably didn't need that car, though. That's probably my okay. point. <laughs> What's that? What, what was it? It's, it's, I mean, it's nothing crazy. It's a Hyundai Veloster Turbo, but it, was, it, it wasn't a car I necessarily needed. I just wanted it, you know, because it's fast and stuff like that. But the, I love that car because it has three doors. <laughs> yes, you know, so the funny thing was is the – the guy that I had been, I'd been talking to him for a couple of years, I bought a different car from him years before and uh, he'd been trying to get me into something new. And so he's like, Hey, come check out this Veloster. <clears throat> I was like, well, they're kind of cool, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm a hatch guy. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, just come check it out. And then the third door sold me because I have, yeah. I have teenagers and, and, you know, I don't want them having to cram through, you know, a sports car, you know, and stuff like that. So it, it worked for me, but uh, I might be using your website here in a little bit. Yeah. Who was your loan with, if you don't mind me asking? Um, right now it's through Capital One. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. originally it was through, when I bought it, it starts with an A. American Credit Acceptance? No, something A lie. A lie, yeah. A lie. And then I and then I refinanced like a year ago, year and a half ago or something. Oh, you and, already did? And Very got cool. It, and got it down lower. But, uh, you know, it could probably, my credit can has continued to improve. Like it's kind of. Yeah, you're, you're the perfect example. If you move in credit, 
like if the second you cross 700 credit score, you qualify for a rate with a credit union and those rates are like 2%. Credit unions are nonprofits with yeah. a community charter. Yeah. So their job is to get capital into our pockets so we can consume. Yeah. Um, and they love car loans. They just, that's something they understand very well. So yeah, let's get you in a credit union loan. It's such a vicious cycle though for people, I think. You know, my, my situation you know, sucked, but I, I have some financial literacy, literacy and, I, and I get yeah. it. But it's so unfortunate for those people out there who, um, who just don't get, who don't understand it. And nobody's yeah. there to really, especially adults, nobody's there to help them. And so they either have to learn the hard way or they never learn. Yeah. And then, and then they're just stuck. And again, yeah, it, it's self-perpetuating because let's assume you don't have good credit at the time. You buy a car, you finance it. All of a sudden, the dealer will now tell you, okay, since your interest rate is so low, it'll take you a long time to pay down, pay down the principal, which means at any given time in the first two or three years, the car is going to be worth less than the loan. Mm -hmm. Then the next story is, okay, what if you have a, an accident? You total the car. Well, the insurance payout will be what the car is worth, not what your loan is, right. not the loan balance. So there's a gap. <clears throat> a gap, in gap insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just $700. They'll never tell you. It's $700. <laughs> They'll tell you it's just $5 a month. Yeah. Um, what they don't tell you, it's $700 extra that needs to be financed at, I don't know, 20%. So yeah. that accumulates. They also don't tell you that the gap insurance that you buy for 700 costs the dealer 800, uh, 180 So it's pure margin. Then the next thing they're going to tell you is like, okay, now that the monthly payments are so high, you're not able to build savings. Uh, so in case the car needs maintenance or something unexpected happens out of warranty, you have a big problem. So why don't we add another warranty product that's $15 a month? Um, so you're, you're, you're protected. And so now you have, you get more and more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Happens all the time. That's how dealers make money. And, uh, and so we're, we're trying to address that. Yeah. The negative equity thing sucks because it's, and that's where it comes from. It. Yeah. Unless you just, you, you know, you can ride it until the end and finally pay it off. But the, the, what you really should do, and this is every, every conversation we have with clients who want to refinance starts with, okay, understand your loan. That's really easy to understand. Tell me what other products that the dealership, dealership tell you, uh, sell you, do you have a vehicle service contract, a maintenance, maintenance plan, a gap insurance, all these products you, and people don't know you can cancel and get a refund. Mm. And then you can, there's the same products off the market, much lower price, much less margin for whoever sells it. You can just, you can just shuffle it around. It, it's not refinancing, but it's very similar. And so we're helping on all fronts. Well, hopefully people stayed to the, to the end of this and heard that advice. Cause uh, <laughs> okay. I didn't, I didn't know that for sure. No, you can, you should check. Yeah. If, yeah. Especially if you have a loan and you feel like you, you no, and you, you got a, a gap insurance like that that product you should cancel immediately. You can yeah. even call your insurance and ask for a, for a gap add-on. You'll just pay $5 more a month huh. to the insurance. It doesn't need to be financed and uh, get a refund for the original policy. Well, we just bought my daughter a car recently, so that's I'm definitely doing yeah, that. Do that. Yeah, do that for yeah. sure. Interesting. Well, thanks for that. So well, if you wanted to give anybody a takeaway when it comes to, to customer service and, yeah. and talking with customers, what, you know, what are your final thoughts on that? Yeah, I think fundamentally your job is to delight customers. Like you did, you chose the servers or business you're providing because you're passionate about it. And if you're not passionate about it, that's the real problem. But let's assume you are. Then if people don't understand your servers or frustrated with the service that you delivered, then it's your job to like correct that. Oftentimes customers are very emotional when they're escalated and you're trying to address 
like those concerns with with rational thoughts and logic that hasn't worked for me i don't think that's that's the solution at the moment yeah. the, the way i'm solving it is through bringing people on board who are really really good at these conversations and then when everybody is calm then i'm trying to figure out what can i do to delight customers because that's ultimately the goal and if you do that it'll go over and beyond people will refer other people and your your company will grow exponentially yeah. um, and that's what i truly believe in Awesome. Thanks, man. Nicholas, I really appreciated having you on the show. Thanks for um, having me, Chris. Tell everybody your, your, your name again and where they can find your company. Yeah, best way to find me is probably me personally on LinkedIn, Nicholas Hendrickson. Maybe you can put a link in the show notes. Okay. And then the company's called Clutch with Clutch.com. And if you have any questions, let me know. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. It was great talking Thank to you. you. Chris, right. thanks for having me. You bet. That's the podcast, folks. If you're a fan of Karen Isn't Always Right, you can show your support in two ways. First, please share with your friends and get them listening. Also, please feel free to donate by going to anchor.fm forward slash chris-fry, that's F-R-E-Y, forward slash support. Please visit kairpodcast.com, K-I-A-R podcast.com, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. New episodes are posted weekly on kairpodcast.com, anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple, and pretty much wherever you can listen to a podcast. The views and opinions on this podcast are solely that of the guest and the host and are not representative of any organizations or individuals. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.